Let me encourage you to turn one more time with me to the book of Psalms. And we have made our way this morning to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. A psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Father, your faithfulness is to all generations, and we pray that you would show it to us again today by speaking to your people and drawing us to praise you, drawing us to know that you are God, and encouraging us that we are your sheep. Help us today. Speak to us today, we pray, from Psalm 100. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalm that lies open before us this morning is, for English-speaking people, one of the most famous, one of the most well-loved, one of the most well-known psalms in all the holy collection, Psalm 100. Not mainly, of course, because of the modern English versions like the one we just read, nor even simply because of the much older King James rendering, which God's people have been reading for generations. But this psalm is famous perhaps especially because of the even older rhymed metrical version set down in the 1500s by a man called William Keith and sung by the Lord's people for 450 years now. You may know it best as all people that on earth do dwell, hymn number five in the Baptist hymnal. But that great hymn is actually a metrical version of Psalm 100. In fact, let me just quote Keith's version for you and urge you to follow along again in your own Bibles and notice how number five in the Baptist hymnal is also number 100 in the Bible's hymn book. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell. Come ye before him and rejoice. The Lord ye know is God indeed. Without our aid he did us make. We are his folk, he doth us feed, and for his sheep he doth us take. O enter then his gates with praise, approach with joy his courts unto. Praise, laud, and bless his name always, for it is seemly so to do. For why? The Lord our God is good. His mercy is forever sure. His truth at all times firmly stood and shall from age to age endure. In the great Christian tradition of psalm singing, this psalm, Psalm 100, has been one of the most sung, one of the most beloved, one of the most famous in all the Psalter. And certainly 
One reason why it is so famous is that William Keith set it down for English-speaking people in such memorable poetic language. And another reason why it is so well-remembered and well-loved in the Lord's providence is that this psalm was set to a beautiful tune by a man called Louis Bourgeois, which is aptly named Old 100th. We'll sing it when we finish today. But of course, the main reason why we should love this psalm is because of what it actually says, right? Because of the truth it proclaims. Whether we read it in William Keith's metrical version or in the King James or this morning in the New American Standard. Psalm 100 powerfully calls us to enter into the praise of our God, doesn't it? Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. It's a beautiful call to worship, isn't it? And then in this psalm, just as beautifully and and succinctly, Psalm 100 reminds us of so many reasons why our God is worthy of such praise. Verse 3, know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 100 is a call to worship and it is an enumeration of reasons why We should worship the Lord our God. And in those two senses, in the way the psalm calls us to worship and in the ways that it reminds us why God is worthy of our worship, Psalm 100 is a kind of review, a restatement of much that we've been saying and hearing marvelously again and again in these recent psalms. Much of what we hear in this psalm is simply an echo of the worship psalms that have gone before it. Which prompts me to say again, as I said on Wednesday night, God must really want us to get this. He must really want us to be worshipers, to be people of praise and song and rejoicing, and to understand the reasons why we should be such. And so in that spirit of review, I just want to point out five themes this morning from Psalm 100. Five themes that we have exalted in really already in recent days and in recent psalms and to which the psalmist draws our attention once again here in Psalm 100. And the first theme that we see again here is praise. Praise. We've already been saying this morning that this is a psalm of praise or as the inscription tells us, a psalm for thanksgiving. And we read that written large in the text of the psalm, don't we? Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Come before him with joyful singing. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Shouting, singing, thanksgiving, praising, blessing. This is the language of praise, isn't it? Of worship, of ascribing to the Lord the glory of his name. And that's what this psalm is all about. This psalm is a call to worship. It is a a call to thanksgiving. It is a call to join in with the people of God in the singing, in the giving of thanks, in the sharing of praises on a Wednesday night. 
In fact, Psalm 100 is a call to come into the house of God with songs and reasons for praise already in your hearts. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So we think about once we're, we're in the courts, once we're here with God's people, we give thanks and we praise and we sing and we should, but, but enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. When you come into this building, in other words, come already thinking about the reasons you have to praise the Lord. Come ready to praise, ready to sing, ready to give thanks, ready to rejoice. And we have so many reasons to do so, don't we? We'll talk about some of them in a little more detail in just a few moments. But even if you examine your own life on a given Sunday morning, if you just simply look back over the week that was, you'll have plenty of reasons to remind yourself that the Lord is good and that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, I don't know what your life was like this past week. Maybe it was a mountaintop week for some of you so that Psalm 100 makes perfect sense to you today and so that it was easy for you to enter his courts with praise this morning. But for some of you, I'm also well aware it may have been an exceedingly challenging week, maybe a tiring week, maybe a boring week, maybe a frustrating week or a sad week or a painful week. And I don't minimize any of those things. In fact, often in my life, unhelpfully, I maximize them for myself. But if I will just stop and look over my week with the eyes of faith, I will always see plenty of reasons to enter his gates with thanksgiving. And so will you. Because no matter how difficult the week that was, you're still alive this morning, for one thing, right? You're not in the grave. And better still, God has not cast you into the lake of fire as your sins deserve and as mine do too. So no matter how trying the last seven days may have been, the blood of Jesus, his son, still cleanses you from all sin, doesn't it? And if you have eyes to see it, the Lord has been with you all week in the midst of the trials that the last seven days have brought about. He's not left you. He's not forsaken you. And in fact... He's had good reason for allowing the difficulties to cross your path. He's working your good by them in the midst of it all, too. He's clothed you, and he's fed you, and he's sheltered you from the rains and brought you safely here this morning. And here today, you have the grand privilege of hearing his voice and being among his people and resting from all your weekly labors. And even now, God's Son is sitting at the right hand of the Father where he always lives to make intercession for us. And on the strength of all these things, I say to you with the psalmist, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. When you come here, when you sit down to family worship, when you go into your closet or into your bedroom for your own private worship, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. That's the first theme this morning. Praise. And we have so many reasons to take it up. But then the second theme that we need to notice is joy. Joy. Our praise ought not to be given to God merely because we have to. Well, I guess I ought to sing today. After all, Psalm 100 said God was worthy of my praise and so let me join in. That's not the tenor of this psalm, is it? No, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with 
gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. In other words, we ought to be happy to come together in this setting week by week. Happy to sing. Happy to share praises during our corporate prayer times. Happy to give our tithes and our offerings. Happy to do all that we get to do when we gather in the Lord's courts. When we gather as a church family or gather for worship in our own individual families or worship God on our own. Serve the Lord with gladness. Now again, I realize we don't always feel gladness, right? Come in here on a Sunday morning, we may not feel joy. Sometimes we feel beat up or maybe angry because of the argument in the car or maybe irritated or frustrated and gladness seems awfully far away and even unrealistic. Ever how much we may feel guilty for not having it when we worship God. But this is why we have to review God's goodness, as we were doing a few moments ago. And this is also why we should join in the singing, even when we don't feel like shouting joyfully. Because maybe, just maybe, the words that we sing will remind us that the Lord is good. That he is faithful. That he is worthy of praise. So that maybe we begin a song with a heavy heart, but as we sing and listen to the words, we finish the song with a different perspective. And as we get to the next song and the next song and we hear the sermon and we finish with song at the end, somehow the Lord has changed our hearts again so that we do serve the Lord with gladness. And if you're not glad on a particular Sunday morning, not only must you let the singing do its work on your heart, but also the word, both as it's read and as it's preached. Listen carefully to the word, asking and expecting that God will give you something there that will make you glad, something that will make you shout joyfully to the Lord, something that will move you by service's end to joyful singing. We Christians don't have a pie-in-the-sky theology. We don't believe, and Psalm 100 does not teach, that there's never a gray cloud over the head of the Christian. But we do believe that there's always a reason for thanksgiving and that there's always reason to be glad in the Lord. And again, if you can't see any other reason, if everything else in your life seems as bleak as a February cold drizzle, You can always remember and remind yourself that in Christ your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. And you can always thank the Lord and be glad that he has gone to prepare a place for you. That this life is not all there is. That these afflictions are only momentary and that Jesus is coming back someday to make all things new. You won't suffer forever and you won't sin forever. Oh, the Apostle John reminds us that when Christ appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And that is reason among all the others to rejoice. And that's the second theme of this psalm and really of this series of psalms recently. Number one, praise. Number two, joy. And then there's a third familiar theme that comes to us again here in Psalm 100, namely, all the earth. All the earth. Did you hear it in verse 1? Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. 
shout joyfully to the Lord, not just in Jerusalem, but all the earth. Shout joyfully to the Lord, not merely among the 12 tribes of Israel, but people from all tribes and peoples and tongues. Shout joyfully to the Lord, not those who already live near the temple or who are already part of the New Testament temple of God, the church, but shout joyfully to the Lord, even those people who live on the many islands. Psalm 97. Let them come before him with joyful singing too. Let the nations enter his gates with thanksgiving. Let all the earth give thanks to him and bless his name. This was God's plan all the way back even in the days of the Old Testament. Salvation is from the Jews, as Jesus said in John chapter 4. But this psalm reminds us that salvation was not merely for the Jews. And neither is it meant simply for people who look and talk like us. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Shout joyfully to the Lord, you inhabitants of the rainforest, tucked away in hidden villages, studying the Amazon river like charms on a necklace. Shout joyfully to the Lord, you native Inuit people, sprinkled all across the chilly coast of Greenland. Shout joyfully to the Lord, you persecuted Christians in North Korea, meeting always behind closed doors for fear of reprisal. Shout joyfully to the Lord in the yurts of Mongolia and the apartment blocks of China and the slums of urban India and the huts of Ethiopia. Shout joyfully to the Lord, black and white South Africans together. Shout joyfully to the Lord in Sydney and Auckland, in Paris and Prague, in Cairo and Nairobi, in Buenos Aires and Lima and Bangkok and Seoul and Toronto and San Francisco and Miami and Cincinnati. Shout joyfully to the Lord in Reading and in Pleasant Ridge and in Gulf Manor and in Westchester. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. This is where our sights must be set. Because this is God's plan, that he be worshipped by people from every tongue and from every nation and every tribe and every people group on planet earth. From them all, Jesus has purchased men, women, girls, and boys with his blood, Revelation 5, so that representatives from all the peoples will be gathered together under the banner of Christ, worshiping one God, singing one song, joined in one family. A great multitude, Revelation 7, which no one can count, could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is the vision of Psalm 100, verse 1, isn't it? And the vision will be fulfilled. And the vision is fulfilled. And the joyful shouting grows louder and louder. And the collection of languages grows fuller and fuller. And God's fame spreads farther and farther as we go out, Psalm 96, and tell of his glory among the nations, his deeds, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. As we go out and tell them in the words of the missionary William Hewitson that God is benevolent and friendly minded towards sinners in the gospel.
Hewitson went to one of those many islands to tell them of Jesus, and he put it in a lovely way, didn't he? Isn't that the message that we want to take to the nations? That God is benevolent and friendly-minded toward sinners in the gospel. Friendly-minded enough to send his son into the world to die for us while we were yet sinners. Friendly-minded enough to fully pardon everyone who believes in him. Friendly-minded enough to call those who believe his children. Friendly-minded enough that someday he will send his son into the world a second time to rescue us from its destruction so that we shall always be with the Lord. God is benevolent and friendly-minded towards sinners in the gospel. That's what we tell to the nations, and that is reason for rejoicing, isn't it? It's news too good to keep to ourselves. So let's tell it out among the neighborhoods, and some of us let's tell it out among the nations, and all of us let's diligently support and pray for those who go. And that's the third theme this morning from Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Praise, joy, all the earth. And then in the fourth place, and under the category of why the Lord is so worthy of our joyful shouting, Psalm 100 revisits the subject of the greatness of God. The greatness of God. Verse 3, know that the Lord himself is God. The Lord himself is God. There is no other. There is no God to compete with the Lord himself. Isn't that what we've seen repeatedly in these recent Psalms? Psalm 95, the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Psalm 96, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 97, you are the Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. In fact, Psalm 96, 5, there actually are no other gods. All the gods of the peoples are idols. They may have demons masquerading inside them, but the gods of the peoples are not actually gods. There's only one true God. There's only one living God, and we should be very clear about this. Know that the Lord himself is God. He is the one who answers prayer. He is the one who controls the pounding of the waves. He is the one who upholds all things by the word of his power. He is the one who deserves our allegiance. I am the Lord, Isaiah chapter 45, and there is no other Besides me, there is no God. Now that is true, and I hope all of us would agree that that's true as we look at the Bible and at the world and at the false gods. The Lord himself is God. There is no other. But is there another in your heart? That's the question, isn't it? Have you made something else or someone else your God? Is there someone else or something else that you're allowing to control your decisions, your pocketbook, your energy, your time, someone or something other than the great God, other than the true God, other than the living God? You know what it is this morning. 
And I urge you to lay it aside today. To recognize it as a mere idol today. To recognize the greatness of the true God today and give Him your allegiance afresh today. Know that the Lord Himself is God and treat Him as such in your own life. Serve the Lord with gladness. Bless His name. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. And here again is the greatness of God. Not only is He the true God in the beginning of verse 3, but then in the middle of the verse, He's also the Creator God. As Psalm 96 put it, all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. All the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made. The Lord created. The Lord fashioned the heavens, Psalm 96 reminds us. And the earth, we're told in Genesis chapter 1. But in this psalm, we're reminded too that it is he who has made us. And we did not add anything to it. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Or as William Keith put it famously, without our aid, he did us make. And so, not only are none of our idols God, but neither are we. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. Isn't that a humbling statement? We didn't have anything to do with our existence, did we? You and I did absolutely nothing to bring ourselves into this world. Nothing. No, it is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. Now, yes, his, He used our parents, right, as, as agents of our creation, of our being. But God is the one who grants conception, isn't He? God is the one who creates life. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. And not only did he make us, but he made us what we are. I'm not sure if this is included in what the psalmist has in mind here, but it's true, isn't it? God not only made you, but he made you what you are. In other words, you didn't implant within yourself your dashing good looks. You didn't give yourself your singing voice, or your analytical mind, or your way with words, or your skill with your hands. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. Whatever skills we have, whatever abilities we have, whatever we gifts, gifts we have are, are gifts, aren't they? That's why we call them that. The Lord gave them to us. Now, I know that many a person, many of you, surely hones these gifts and works to cultivate these gifts. And there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for hard work and practice and resourcefulness and not burying your talents in the ground. And those who do those things are worthy to be commended. But that's another sermon, isn't it? In this psalm, we're reminded that God is the one who made us. And I'm reminding you now that God is the one who made us what we are. He's the one who gave you the talents, the gifts. And He is the one who gave you every opportunity you ever had to improve them and perfect them and use them so that what Paul said to the Corinthians can also be said of us. What do you have that you did not receive? 
What do you have that you did not receive? And so we mustn't boast, Paul says. We mustn't glory in ourselves, but always give praise where praise is due. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. He is the great one. He Himself is God, and we are merely His people. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. And this is why we praise Him, isn't it? We don't write hymns to ourselves. We write hymns to God. This is why we enter his courts with praise, because of his greatness. Because he is God, and he did make us. And so, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. But then we also sing and praise and give thanks, not only because of the greatness of God, but also, finally, because of the goodness of God. Look at verse 5. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. Good in his character. Upright. Equitable. Just. Kind. Friendly minded. Free of sin. Good in his commandments. They're not burdensome, says the Apostle John. God is not a killjoy. His commandments are meant to make us happy and healthy and holy. We saw that in Psalm 99. The commandment, says Paul, is holy and righteous and good. And so is the God who gives it. And the Lord is not only good in his character and in his commandments, but also in his conduct toward mankind. He is friendly-minded toward sinners, remember? He is gracious toward us in Christ. He does not count our trespasses against us. And even if we're outside of Christ, He still gives us rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying our hearts with food and gladness. And therefore, every person on this planet should bless His name. The Lord is good. And along those same lines, verse 5b, his loving kindness is everlasting. His loving kindness. The loving kindness by which, for instance, he relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon Nineveh. His loving kindness by which he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. His loving kindness by which he draws us to himself in repentance and faith. It being his kindness which leads us to repentance. The loving kindness with which he washes away all of our sins. The loving kindness with which he disciplines his own. The loving kindness he shows us when we are bruised and broken and at our wit's end. Comforting us in all our affliction. Oh, if there's anything for which we should most readily give thanks, we who have been given the right to become children of God, if there is a most obvious reason for us to bless his name, it is because of his loving kindness. And his loving kindness is everlasting, says the psalmist. It will never come to an end. It will never cease to be. 
His love will never wax cold. It will never grow tired. Throughout all eternity, this God will be good to you and shower his loving kindness upon you world without end. And so also with his faithfulness. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. God is faithful. God always does what he says he will do. God is always there for his people. God never leaves them. God never forsakes them. God never backs out on his promises. He never is unable to follow through on his word. He's never late. He's never forgetful. He never changes his mind. He is like no one else in the world, faithful. His loving kindness is everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. In other words, he will as assuredly keep his word to us as he did when he promised to make Abram into a great nation all those many centuries ago. He did that, and he'll do for you what he says he will do. He's just as actively involved in his people's lives today as when he climbed into the furnace of blazing fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all those years ago. He's faithful. To all generations. He loves us just as much today as he did on that fateful day when Jesus went to the cross bearing our sins. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. Goodness, loving kindness, faithfulness. And then also under this broader category of the goodness of God, verse 3 We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And if we are his sheep, then he is our shepherd. And if he is our shepherd, we shall not want. The Lord will surely feed us, won't he? He will surely defend us from the wolves. He will surely, if we are His, make sure that we stay on the right paths. And He will surely stay by our sides in the darkest valley. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And a good shepherd never abandons his sheep, does he? He never fails to provide for his sheep. And certainly not this shepherd. Not after all the effort he put forth to bring us into his fold in the first place. Because remember, when we were continually straying like sheep without a shepherd, he went out in his goodness, in his loving kindness, in his faithfulness. He went out into the lonely countryside, out into the cursed wilderness of this world to find and bring home the lost sheep. And no one can snatch us away when once he's laid us on his shoulders and brought us home rejoicing. And I say to you, if God so rejoices over us, should we not, verse 1, shout joyfully to him? If God has so gladly served us, should we not, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness? Should we not enter his gates with thanksgiving? Verse 4, in his courts with praise? Never forget that God brought us home and we entered his gates that first time draped over the scar-tissued shoulders of the Good Shepherd and held there by nail-pierced hands. 
Never forget, that's what it cost the good shepherd. His flesh rent, his hands pierced, his body broken, his blood shed, his life poured out in order to seek and to save his lost sheep, in order to make us the sheep of his pasture, in order to bring us into his fold, in order to bring us through his holy gates and into the courts of the king. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. He laid down his life in order to bring us into the courts of the Lord. And in light of that, is it possible that we could ever enter those gates again? That we could ever come into God's courts again without thanksgiving and without praise? Whenever we read that we are the sheep of his pasture, let us never forget what it cost the good shepherd to make us so. What it cost him to bring us home. Let us never forget, in a word, the goodness of God. And let us never fail to give him praise. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations.